right, how you guys doing? Good, okay, no. How you guys doing? Good, okay, good. I wanna say hello to everyone online and over in the video cafe. I'm so glad you guys joined us. We are in week three of our Promises series. Now, I know not everyone can be here every weekend, and so we wanted to create a resource for you to get caught up. If you'd like to, you can go to city.church slash promises, city.church slash promises. Especially week one might be helpful to get the full context. We really laid the foundation there. Uh, but if you weren't here, that's okay. I'll give you kind of the truncated version of what we've been talking about. The reason I chose to do this series is because uh, as a pastor and talking to a, a lot of people really frequently, one of the things that I notice is people seem to be really discontent with their life. And a part of being a human, part of our hardwiring is we all have this deep inner desire, this longing for significance. We want our lives to matter, we wanna leave behind a legacy, but oftentimes we don't exactly know how to achieve that kind of significant life. And what complicates it for people and what we keep running into over and over again is that our culture makes us all kinds of promises for how we can live this kind of significant life. If you just get a certain number of followers on Instagram, if you just make a certain dollar amount or if you can get with the hottest chicks or the hottest dudes, then you'll finally be living the life of significance that you want to. However, if you've lived long enough, you know that many of those promises turn up empty. Not only do they not always come true, but even if we achieve some of them, it doesn't ultimately satisfy our desire for purpose and our desire for significance. And so out of that tension, we've built the foundation of this series uh, out of the Bible in a book called Second Peter, where Peter says that people who have believed in Jesus, that God has given us very great and precious promises and so now we have another option from all the promises that the world has made us to try out God's promises in our life and he doesn't just talk to us about these promises he also gives us sort of a roadmap of how we can actually achieve this kind of life of significance and so Peter says for this very reason Make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly affection and to brotherly affection love. And those verses create this list that makes this roadmap. Now I know that's a lot. And so what we're doing in this series is week by week we're walking through this list so we can really understand it and apply it to our lives. Now, if you look at this list, one thing that you'll notice is that these aren't verbs. These are not action words. It's not about things that we externally do or it's not about our performance. These are words that reflect our inner life. And so we're calling this a list of postures. Your posture is your frame of mind. It's your attitudes, your emotions, your standards. It's your inner approach to your life, and what Peter is saying to us is that it's your posture that unleashes the power of God's promises in your life, and so we're walking through this list, and today we're gonna be focusing on knowledge. Everyone with me, you guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. Some of you know that I have a, a band, and we play every once in a while. Most of my attention stays here at the church, and so we don't get out very often, but we go and play worship events around Texas and sometimes out of state, and to be honest, I love the guys that I travel with, and we normally have a good time, but 
being on the road can get really boring. I mean, we play one hour-long set across seven days, and the other 23 hours of the day, we have nothing to do. And so in February, we were going out to West Texas, and I decided I wanted to make things more interesting. And so I instituted a dollar bet system. How this works is that while we are on the road, I bet the guys in the band to do ridiculous things, and if they do it, then at the end of the event, I add dollars onto their paycheck every time they take a bet. And it's kind of a win-win, because they get a little bit of extra money, and I get to watch them do ridiculous things. And it's amazing what people will do for just a dollar. And I don't know about you guys, but growing up, I would play these kind of games with my friends, and maybe you have friends that you'll do these little bets with, like, you know, I bet you five bucks, you can't get that chick's number, or maybe your friends are all betting on, like, who will be the last to get married, because women are savage like that sometimes. Or maybe you're like way more intelligent than the rest of us and you went ahead and bet that the Spurs would beat Houston in Houston with Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard back in San Antonio in game six. Not to get too specific or anything. And so that, it, it's fun, right? Like $5 can really make a game of Uno come to life. But here's the deal. I also have several friends who I would never take a bet. I just know them too well. And the thing about taking a bet, here's some free advice, you, could you should only take a bet from someone that you trust. And you can only really trust someone that you know. And see, my bandmates, they were okay playing this game because for years I've consistently given them paychecks at the end of every event. They know that I'm good for it, and so their knowledge of me made it safe for them to ultimately take the bet. Because if you break it down, taking a bet is really about the promise at the end of it. If you do this, then I will give you this. If you do this, I'll give you $5, or I'll do your laundry for a month, or I will be, you know, call you the king for the rest of your life. And the reason that the X factor in taking a bet is how well you know someone is because at the end of the day, you don't want to have taken the challenge and end up empty on the promise. Taking a bet comes down to trust, and you can't trust someone that you don't know. And the higher the, the wage gets, the higher the stakes are, the more important it is for you to have knowledge of what you're getting yourself into. And so maybe, maybe you don't play this game and you don't take bets, but I'd like to suggest that every time we make a major decision in our life, what we're really doing is we are, in fact, taking a bet. And so let me give you some examples. Uh, statistically, many of you in this room aren't saving anything for retirement. And so what you're saying is you are taking the bet that the promise of social security will actually come through. And so what you have to ask yourself is do you know our government enough to trust them enough to take care of you in your old age? And here's the deal, maybe no one gets anything out of this talk, someone's gonna open up a retirement account tomorrow, all right? We like marriage, right? We fall in love and we wanna get married and, and marriage is a very high stakes bet, right? That this is gonna work out and it comes with the promise of like fulfillment and, and you know, you're complete and you have kids and there's sexual intimacy and there's all these promises. Here's a really interesting statistic though that we talked about a few series ago. Did you know that people who date for at least two years, once they pass the two year mark, they have double the chances of staying married from someone who dates for less than two years? Because when you're gonna take a high stakes bet, the more that you know someone, the more that you can trust them, and trust is the bedrock of a marriage. You can frame almost any decision that you make in your life in the same way. You're taking a bet, and you have to go the higher the stakes are, the more knowledge you need to have of the situation. And so in this series, we're talking about your life. 
We're talking about promises. This is the highest stake gamble that you will ever take in the entirety of your life. It's about living in significance. It's about finding your purpose, your time that you're given on earth really mattering. Peter says that we've been given these promises and if we're gonna take the bet to live that way, Peter tells us that we need to make every effort to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge. If you're gonna take a bet, you have to trust someone. If you're gonna trust them, you have to know them. Now Peter is moving us on to the posture of knowledge today. Now knowledge comes from the Greek word gnosis. Now the word knowledge can be intimidating because we didn't all do great in school, but what we're talking about today, posturing yourself for knowledge, it doesn't matter if you're a PhD or a GED, all right, you got that? It doesn't matter. This word gnosis, every time it's used in the New Testament, it's specifically talking about knowledge of God. This inner desire, this inner drive to become more and more intimate in your knowledge and your relationship with God. And so today we're going to look again in the Old Testament to see what it looks like to posture ourselves for knowledge. Now we said last week, the Old Testament is the history of the Jewish or the Israelite people. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. And all throughout the Old Testament, God has given them these incredible promises But often what would happen is the Jewish people would stray from God and they would start betting their lives on the things of the world to find their significance and they would not walk in the power of the promises and they'd put themselves in incredibly difficult positions. And so today, we're gonna be in a book called Second Kings in the Old Testament of the Bible and we pick up the Israelites' history at one of these points where they're really struggling. They had just been through the reign of two different extremely evil kings. The first king's name was Manasseh and he ruled for 55 years. He introduced idolatry, worshiping things besides God. He introduced prostitution. He desecrated the temple. He completely forgot about God and tried to rule by his own performance. And he led the people in a terrible direction. After he died, his son took over, King Amon. And Amon was possibly even more evil than his father. In fact, he was so evil that some of his officials actually went against him and plotted and murdered him. And when King Amon died, his son became king. And this king's name is Josiah. Josiah is who we're going to talk about today. And Josiah became king at eight years old. Now, my son Paxton is turning eight years old this summer, and that fool doesn't even get to walk around the block by himself, all right? (laughs) Josiah is running a nation. And remember, we just said that every decision we make in our life is like taking a bet, and we have to live with the consequences. But when you're the king, your consequences don't just affect you or your immediate family. It affects thousands, if not millions of people. And Josiah's coming from a tough place. I mean, his father was evil, and his grandfather was evil. They didn't care about God. They actively rebelled against him. But in an amazing, amazing story, Josiah was doing it right. In verse 1 in 2 Kings 22, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah, and she was from Bozkath. There'll be a quiz on this, so pay attention. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed completely the ways of his ancestor, King David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. How incredible is this? Josiah has faith. 
He's a person after God's own heart. He wants to follow him. And not only that, it says he doesn't waver. He doesn't go to the right or to the left. He stays on the path that God has put before him. That sounds a lot like what we studied last week. Sounds a lot like virtue. He had the courage to stay in the fight and to do what was right. He had the faith to start him off. However, his nation was still struggling. The Israelite people were still wrapped up in idolatry. The temple was still desecrated. People weren't living in the power of the promises. And so here's some encouragement for you because maybe you've been coming to the series and, and you've really postured yourself for faith and last week you postured yourself with courage and excellence. We talked about virtue and maybe things still aren't clicking and you're not seeing the promises of God in your life and that's where Israel was. But one day something incredible happened. In verse three it says, in the 18th year of his reign, Josiah was now 20 26, King Josiah sent his secretary to the temple of the Lord. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to the secretary who read it. Now, this is a huge deal. The book of the law is the first five books of our Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this book, had led and guided Israel for hundreds of years. And when they followed it, it put them in the direction where they could walk powerfully in the promises of God. But under the reign of these evil kings, it had been lost. It was dusty in the back corner of the temple, covered up with all the idols and the broken promises of the world. And so what would Josiah do now that it had been found? The secretary came and he read it to him. And to be honest, when you're the king, you make the laws. When you're the king, you're the man, and you're in charge. And now, a new book of laws comes. And these laws are straight from God, and so Josiah had a decision to make. Would he puff himself up? Would he try to perform his way out of it? Would he decide that he had the answers and he had the way to lead his people, or would he posture himself for the knowledge of God? And verse 11 gives us a clue. It says, when the king heard the words of this book of the law, he tore his robes, now tearing your robes at that time was a sign of deeply grieving. When Josiah heard the words of God, the law of God, he began deeply mourning because now he could actually see how far off track Israel had gone. He knew that in the current state they were in, there was no way that they could really unleash the power of God's promises. And so here's what Josiah did next. Josiah went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah and of Jerusalem, the priests and prophets, all of the people from least to greatest, and he read in their presence all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple. Then King Josiah stood by the pillar and he renewed that covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow him, to keep his commands with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of the people also pledged themselves to that covenant. Not only that, but Josiah got his crew together and they went all throughout the kingdom seeking out the idols and destroying them. Anything that went against the law of God, they completely got rid of. They burned it and scattered the ashes. Josiah got things right and he pointed God's chosen people back into a direction where they could follow and live and walk in the power of God's promises. He started a revival and he's gone down as one of the greatest kings in Israel's history and that is what we want. That's a significant life. When the history books are written, we don't wanna just be a spectator. 
We don't want to just float along with what everyone else is doing. And this is what the world was doing. And this is how culture was going. We want to stand out and stand up for something. And so how did Josiah do it? Well, we saw immediately that he had the faith. He believed in God. And he had added to his faith virtue. He stood firm. But what Josiah hadn't done yet is added knowledge to his virtue. Listen, Josiah was the king. He could have completely disregarded the scripture. He could have done what his lineage did, what his dad did, and what his grandfather did. He could have completely gone on his own performance, and I'm not even saying he couldn't have done good things. Listen, I'm not saying that if you live your life by your own performance, you won't make some money, or you won't do some cool stuff, or maybe you'll get really popular, or you'll meet lots of hot chicks or hot dudes. I don't know. But if you wanna see miracles happen, If you wanna be a world changer like King Josiah, then it doesn't start with your performance, it starts with your posture because your posture unleashes the power of God's promises. Josiah had postured himself for knowledge. Long before the book of the law was discovered, Josiah had a posture of knowledge. He had a deep inner desire to grow in his relationship with God, to become more intimate, to learn more and more about him. And so when the book of the law was discovered, it was natural. He surrendered to it, he followed it, and he led his nation back onto the path of God's promises. And here's why this matters to you today. Because every one of us, God is challenging us to take the bet. He's challenging us to quit thinking in a performance-based mindset, to quit trying to earn our way into the life of promise and significance that we all want, but to posture ourselves. And if we posture ourselves, he has promised to unleash his power in our lives. But if you're gonna take a bet, you have to trust the person who's challenging you and you can't trust someone that you don't know and that is why Peter says make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. Josiah had faith and he had virtue but when the knowledge came, it allowed Israel to walk in the promises of God and so here's what I'm asking you guys to do today. I'm asking you to posture yourself for knowledge. To quit trying to figure it all out on your own, that's performance-based thinking. I'm asking you to decide in this moment to ask God to instill in you a deep desire and a longing to grow more intimate in your relationship with him, to learn more and more about him. And listen, maybe you're from a different faith background or you're skeptical or you're an atheist and that's fine. God is still challenging you to take the bet, to make a decision that you're gonna pursue the knowledge of him until you're sure about what you believe. And for those of you who are believers, listen, maybe you're like most people and you have a dusty Bible sitting somewhere on a shelf or you have a, a Bible app on like the seventh screen of your iPhone or maybe you went out and you bought a daily devotional and you really wanted to do it and you woke up early for a few weeks and you put on worship music and you did it but then life got busy and you forgot. Now you're four years into a one year devotional and listen, I get it. It's challenging, and I struggle with it too. I'm not saying that to shame you, I'm saying that to ask you to consider rethinking how it is that you actually grow in your relationship with God because when you start with your reading, when you start with purchasing and scheduling and devotionaling, when you start with performance, it's bound to implode. 
I'm asking you to rethink it, to take the bed and instead start internally. Start with a posture of knowledge because when you get your posture right, when you just long to know more about God, when you have this deep desire to grow in relationship with him, your posture will take care of the performance. Getting up and reading your Bible will become the easiest part of your day. When you posture yourself and the performance flows naturally out of it, then you begin to learn more and more about God like Josiah did. And the more you know him, the more that you'll trust him. And the more you trust him, the more that you'll take him up on this bet that he has issued. And the more you will posture yourself for him. And before long, you are walking powerfully in the promises of God. You're living the significant life that he desires for all of us to live. Now, many of you came today to hear a Mother's Day talk, and so I'm going to give it to you. I have something to say to the mothers in here. If you're like me, you may be wondering how Josiah, coming from an evil dad and evil grandfather, inheriting all this stuff, kind of magically had all of this faith and all of this virtue. And the answer is in the text, but it's very easy to miss. If we go back to verse 1, it says Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. From Bozkath. Josiah's dad died at eight years old, leaving his mother as the influential caretaker in his life. And if anyone has or has had an eight-year-old, you know he wasn't running that kingdom on his own. And when I read about his mom, I got a little curious, and so I did some research, and I found out that Jedidah is a direct descendant of a man named Caleb. And Caleb is one of the superstars of the Old Testament. His name is up there with the big ones like Moses and Joshua and Noah. Caleb was a man of God. And she came directly from a godly line. And I don't know how she ended up getting into the kingdom. But what I do know is that women didn't have a lot of say about who they married back then. And so all of a sudden it makes sense. Josiah became the world-changing king who postured himself with faith and virtue and knowledge because his mama raised him that way. And so on this Mother's Day weekend, never underestimate the power of a godly woman. And I know it can be a struggle, and being, being a mother, I, you know, I was a stay-at-home dad for three months one time, and I will never, like, respect, all right? <laughs> but here's the deal, not only was she a mother, Josiah's dad died at eight, she was a single mother for most of her life. She was a mother to the king. And yet, because of who she was and what she modeled for him. And listen, parenting gets hard and we put so much pressure on ourselves because we think it's about our performance. But when you posture yourself to unleash the power of God's promises in your life, your children will see that. And your children can be taught some things, but they will catch way more than they're ever taught. Josiah had a godly mother, and of course he ended up being this godly man. She had postured herself to walk in the power of God's promises, and the king, her son, followed suit. And so today, I thought the most appropriate way to end this talk was to recognize the importance of godly parents in our children's lives. And so we have some families here today who have actually signed up uh, to dedicate their children to God. We're going to do a child dedication to end our service today. Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And so here's the deal. I want you to look at these kids. Man, some good-looking kids up here. 
Can you imagine if these kids were raised and they came up in a church where the adults, where their role models had postured themselves to walk powerfully in God's promises? What if they came up in a world where that's all they ever knew because I believe there's some world changers up here. I believe there are some king and queen Josiahs on this stage who could tear a hole in this world. And we have a responsibility to raise them up in the knowledge of God and to posture ourselves in a way that will set a model for them. So I know that you know, some of you have kids who are a little bit older and uh, maybe your kids aren't here with you. But the first thing we're gonna do before we dedicate these kids is we're gonna do some vows that we're gonna take as parents. And so if you're a parent, maybe your kid's older, but it doesn't matter if you're a parent, you're here, you're online, you're in the video cafe, I wanna encourage you to take these vows with us if you care about posturing yourself to unleash the power of your kids, then I would encourage you to take these vows. As parents who are caretakers, you do not own your child, therefore, you have to recognize your stewardship responsibilities to God for the child he's given you, and that stewardship is a priceless privilege. If you recognize that, say, I do. As parents who are teachers, therefore, do you commit to strive to provide spiritual nutrition for your child using biblical instruction, discipline, prayer, and love that your child, by faith, may come to experience the fullness of Christ's love? If so, say, I do. As parents who are models, do you commit to strive to be a godly example to your child in your parenting, in your marriage, in your church life, that your child may come to know the love and righteousness of Christ through watching your life? If so, say, I will. As parents, you are equippers. Do you commit to strive to prepare your children to joyfully serve Christ in the church and in this world with compassion and courage in the power of his promises? If so, say, I will. Now this last vow is special. This is for us as a church family, as a community of believers who are supporting these parents and helping to raise these children. And so we're all going to take this vow together. And so do you, church, acknowledge and accept the task of providing a supportive community to these children and their parents? Through your presence and example, will you help them discover their own extraordinary God-given talents and help them see how to posture themselves to release the power of God's promises in their life and if so say I accept now we're going to dedicate these beautiful kids up here to God and so I want to ask you to close your eyes and if you're comfortable maybe right where you are you can even just say a prayer in your mind about these children and about these parents and join me as I pray for them God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us enough to give us your son. God, I pray that these vows would be so much more than words. They would be a commitment. They would be a standard that we hold for ourselves as parents and as this church. God, I pray for every one of these children on this stage. I pray for our children over in Kid City and in our preschool, for our students going to youth. God, I pray that they would not be swept in to the current of the world and what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is saying and what everyone else is watching, but that they would posture themselves. God, that we would be people who model for them, like Josiah's mother, 
so that one day when they grow up, God, and even now in their childhood, they will begin to shake the foundations of this world. They will bring light into the darkness. They will bring hope to the hopeless. God, I pray that you unleash the power that you have created these children for. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. And would you guys help me celebrate these parents and these beautiful children? Thank you guys.